Andy Fenton. Happy Friday. Happy Friday you, uh, to you, friend. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to be back. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Uh, back indeed we are uh, at another Friday, Friday, August uh, 20th, 2021. There you go. Oh, <laughs> what a uh, what a week it's been. We were just chatting off air. It's been uh, a little bit hectic pace um, for the week, so it's nice to sort of land a little bit and uh, hang out with you, mate, have a glass of wine and have a bit of a yarn to everybody. Well, mate, uh, I think we both had pretty much the same day where we sat down at 7 o'clock in the morning and, and then looked at our lunch at 3 o'clock but didn't get to our lunch until 4 o'clock and then thought if we don't have our lunch, uh, it might be a messy evening. It could be. It could be. We've got a few few people already jumping on, so uh, good to see you guys here. Uh, James, mate, good to see you. Christina, already got a glass of wine. That's good. Um, Jeff, uh, how are you, mate? Good to see you here. Give us a shout-out in the chat. If you're online, um, a few people jumped on now, which is awesome and uh, great to be hanging out with you guys on a, a fabulous Friday. Friday. What wine today? Um, um, I've got a little Pinot Noir um, from last week. It still tastes all right, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I only drink like oh, very little anyway. But anyway, there you go. Um, have you got something fresh, Andy? Pinot Noir called that. Swear to God, it is unbelievable that you function on such a high level and you literally try and poison yourself once every couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I've got uh, the older Grant Burge, uh, borrowed from the old man today, uh, old, old Vine Shiraz from uh, Barossa. It's getting to that time of the year where you get rid of the rest of the Shirazes that are in the fridge because it'll be Pinot Noir and Chardonnay for, uh, for the summer to come. There you go. Well, uh, Christina's got, um, what do you got? She's got a Shiraz cab going on. That's good to see. Cool. Yep. Um, the Longhorn Courier. Yeah, Lovely. let us know. Yep. And uh, looks like Laura's got a glass of wine too. So great to have everyone here with us tonight. And um, if I've missed you, uh, we've got Robert. Uh, we've got Michelle diving into uh, a few people here um, as well. Bob, Tony. There we go. Hey, uh, Tony's got a bit of scotch and ice. He's and a, and the Cuban cigar. What a what a good afternoon. I hear that goes well together. Um, as a, as a, as a mixer. And Michelle's on the lemon ginger tea. But that's the way to roll. What it, whatever 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 drink is your fancy. Um, there you go, team. Um, as you go, um, as we go. And and we didn't get an alert today. Alison was saying, but there you go. Um, I noticed that, that as well. One. I noticed uh, that as well. We'll have to have oh, a well, chat with that. our our mob in the tech companies and find out what's going on in the world. Yes. Well, sometimes we get the alerts and sometimes we don't, but fantastic to have all of you guys here as we do a little bit of an intro kickoff. Uh, most of you guys know us, I think, by now, but if you don't, Andy Fenton over there, um, Jason Whitten over here, and uh, um, uh, we get together with a bunch of cool people, have a glass of wine on a Friday, started mid-COVID or at the beginning of COVID, really? supporting our uh, communities, the real estate world and the share and financial planning world and, and finance world and Andy's side, small business. Um, and uh, we thought we would sort of demystify and support people uh, via a, a quick debrief at the end of the week. And we've actually uh, turned it into a bit of a bit of a, a thing. We enjoy a glass of wine, a bit of a chat, and uh, we invite you guys along too. I hope you guys enjoy it. Both of us have been 20-plus uh, years in our industries and uh, try and help you guys and ourselves uh, debrief the week and make sense of information, what stuff we should pay attention to and what we shouldn't, and uh, maybe what to look at into the future. So uh, welcome along if you're here. And um, there's usually uh, uh, we try to stick to a bit of a, th uh, a system or a theme in the, in the, <laughs> in the Friday Wealth, Wine and Wisdom. It's usually a little bit what's in the news and uh, we, we spend some time going, hey, what's been happening out there? Uh, we might might be a few decent uh, articles or bits of information. Uh, we like the idea of maybe having a chat about things we should know. There's plenty of things we should all know, and, and we've had some amazing uh, comments in the chats from you guys as well, um, and it's always great to have a two-way street in this conversation. And uh, if you've got any questions, as always, whack them in the chat. We will... Um, give them a whirl uh, also. So um, 
as we go. And a few people already in there, mate. Uh, Alison's got a uh, a little uh, uh, Moscato uh, in the glass this afternoon, which is good. <laughs> and uh, Jeanette's dialing in. Good to see you, Jeanette, mate. And um, uh, Bob's already on. He reckons there's uh, a bit of, a bit of stock dropping. Could be a good time to buy. And crypto is. Uh, having a bull run, it's all interesting out there and uh, we might uh, dive into a little bit of that today. But, Andy, why don't you uh, give it a kickoff? Um, uh, what do you got for everyone today? Um, anything in the news that's interesting on your side of the of the fence? Mate, well, as we always do, bit of a bit of a kickoff from our mate uh, Yogi Berra to start <laughs> things off. Uh, you better cut the pizza into four pieces because I'm not hungry enough to eat six. <laughs> and uh, I think that it's a good theme to get things started today because I, I thought, well, let's have a little bit of a look at some of the things that are in the news at the moment, which uh, which do or don't make sense. And uh, th- there's a bit of a theme that's going to come from this over the course of what I've got to say, and I think it'll dovetail into what you should know later on. But uh, Sydney Airport, interim net loss dives into $97 million. $97 million net loss. For the Sydney Airport, not really surprising, Jace, because not too many planes flying out of Sydney Airport. Not a lot know. going on in Sydney Airport, Andy. No, no, apart from the, the coming back from the Olympics. Uh, but uh, outside of that, it's reasonably quiet. You could go into the international terminal. You could probably have a good ballroom dance in there and not bump into a single soul. Not even the deep cleaners are in there at the moment. So one would say, well, from a from a stock perspective, Sydney must be doing pretty pretty poorly, wouldn't you think so? Uh, so here's here's the uh, here's the chart for the last year of the Sydney Airport stock price. We spoke about this uh, earlier. Zoom in on that for us, Andy. Zoom in on that. This is this is golden, folks. You've got to pay attention to this stuff. This is. Uh, I did a little segment this week saying the markets are never rational; they're always irrational. But here we go. This is interesting. Tell tell us what this means, Andy, because I was going to ask you about. This is on my list. This is on my list right now. Yeah. <laughs> We're sharing a brain. And, uh, <laughs> And, and you, you would be forgiven if you thought this is ludicrous and this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And if you, for those of you who watched us a, a long time ago, it's, it's rare that I, I come out and, and do a, you should buy this. And I don't think I did say that. I think I said that it's certainly worth a good look. Uh, and that was well over a year ago. So uh, for those of you who did have a good look, probably around about 50 or 60, maybe even 70 or 80% up because it was lower than uh, $5 when we were talking about it. Yes, it was, mate. Yeah. And so sometimes you've got to look a little bit deeper. And you, as I said, you'd be forgiven for thinking that this is a little bit unusual given that it's a $97 million loss. Uh, but ultimately, you know, stock is well and truly up. Now, there's a big kicker that happened there, Jace. It just went vertical. What happened uh, there, Andy? Well, it wasn't planes taking off, that's for sure, uh, right? <laughs> they have a, they have a you, But you would think so. Wouldn't you? You would think so. And uh, Flight Centre is back on the radar as well, just uh, as an FYI. Uh, so another stock to watch in this space. But uh, this was after. What would you think would be the? What What do you think would happen after you're posting a ninety-seven million dollar net loss? I oh, know. Would you? Uh, would you get? Uh, would you get some uh, input of capital? Would someone want to buy in, loan you money, uh, get cheap? Uh, get cheap. Resources, what, pretty, what would happen? Pretty much, oops, that's, uh, oh, Jason, I may not have put the other, the other slide in there. Oh, uh, no. Maybe I've, maybe I've misordered them somehow. Uh, let me just have a look, see if I can drop it in there. It's around here somewhere. Uh, well, I can't, but what I can tell you uh, is Sydney Airport rejects. So after a $97 million loss, Sydney Airport rejects uh, a takeover bid from a consortium. Sydney Airport in Australia has rejected a revised takeover bid. Ah. $22 billion. That's $16 billion US uh, from the Sydney Aviation Alliance Consortium. The proposal was for a stapled security in Sydney airports as an indicative price of about 8.45. So as you can see uh, on our slide here, it jumped up pretty much to what the, uh, what the bid price was uh, reasonably quickly. <laughs> Uh, the airports uh, previously rejected a takeover bid back on the 5th of July, uh, which is where that was. They revised the bid, came back in, bidded higher. Uh, Sydney Airport said, no, thank you. 
And uh, this is an example of, it, well, obviously it's the remobilization, right? Because in a world now where supply chains are disrupted, in a world where there are so many uncertainties, people start to look for what are the certainties. And some of the certainties around at the moment are, well, when they open the borders, people will travel and they will travel en masse. Yeah. Uh, well, you would think it would be almost uh, ridiculously um it would get busy for a time. Everyone's got to get it out. Like, I've missed out on three or four holidays. I've got to fit them in maybe, you know? 100%. And when you've got long-term leases like they do over the the infrastructural space of Sydney airports, well, you, you're, you're actually owning a licence to print money in the future. And, again, going back to long-term interest rates, when you have interest rates basically down at 1%, you can borrow at 1%, you don't have to be able to push a significant return and you will push a significant return on this asset when it gets back into mobilisation and when the planes start to go, it's still collecting. It's still collecting rent from different suppliers and it's heavily subsidised by the government. But as soon as it's allowed to, one thing that we know for sure is that when when they open up the borders, people will travel and we will travel en masse. And, so and money will be invested, spent in these things and that's why people are getting in place for these opportunities, Andy. Tell me, uh, do you know off? Do you know off the top of your head? I've just got a question, maybe for everyone. Like, what would be the um, uh, what would be the the multiple that the market is pricing this at for a future for a future income? Is it like a a five or a ten year income, or is it a per annum multiple that 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 this thing's worth eight billion dollars? Like, where where how does it get priced? Is 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 there something you can give us some insight on on this one? Uh, well, at the moment you've got. No, we don't actually have their PE listed in there uh, at the moment. Price but, earnings. Uh, yep. So, uh, look, I ha- I haven't done that much research into the bid and the takeover as to what they're looking to get out of it, as far as what that's going to be worth over time. They will be looking at at north of of your five percent uh, profit or or margin over where they're they're looking as far as um, their the long-term rate of which they'll be able to get over what their debt funding is. on yep. it. But it's almost impossible to tell at the moment because the multiples, uh, when it comes to markets at the moment, they have never been higher. Never in history have they ever been higher. They're kind of, or, or sorry, the, the price to earnings never has it been lower, if that yeah. makes sense. Because the well, price is not so high, but it's a difference between the cash rate, which is the risk-free rate of which you can invest, being 1% or lower, so anytime you can derive a return that is higher than that, you're going to take on a risk for it. And these are major infrastructural assets. So if you're buying at one percent, if you're if your borrowing costs are at one percent, then normally you'd be looking for significant dividends that are sort of five or six percent. That's just as a dividend of the profit. So that's a yes. portion of the profit. Um, so you'd be looking at Well North. I don't know where the P is on it at the moment, but I would say that it's the highest. That sorry, it is the. It is the highest P that you've ever seen. It's the highest price that we'll ever pay for the earnings multiples on this, uh, bar none. Uh, I would. I, I can't comment exactly because I don't know the figures, so I'm sort of stumbling, looking yep. at some of my reports here to see if I can find it. But no, no, uh, but but that, but that makes sense, right? It makes sense, and and we're seeing that show up in the real estate game as well. Um, the rent, you know, to price ratio, we'd call it PE ratio, you know, for for comparison. It's low right now. It's it's getting it's getting extremely low because the cost of finance is lower. I'm going to show a little bit um, in a bit in mind what's in the news about the cost of actually a mortgage now is you know at twenty year lows, and we'll we'll chat about that later. Um, but you know, I was and one thing you mentioned here, which is which is good because uh, because I think this is a really important thing for all of us to understand, Andy. These deals aren't being done by someone um, grabbing a bunch of cash, right? There is debt involved in purchasing these assets, right? So the money is being um, being used to buy this. It, it it's, it's, comes in the form of debt, right? Um, and debt structured deals, you know, I remember you telling me about, you know, your life as a reformed banker, but back in the day, you, you know, debt was a good instrument to – create great deals because money needed a place to go to work, right? 100%. And look, it's looking for those homes at the moment because you can't, yeah. you can't earn the 1% and expect to, to be anywhere other than behind. And that, mm. that's the problem at the moment. 
anywhere where they can see a long, stable return. And we talked about infrastructure ad nauseum over the last 12 months. And so any time that we're going to be looking at semi-government-backed or government-backed long-term yields, and that's what airports are. They're, they're long-term assets. They will go up. That They do have a bit of fixed pricing in there, as in they, they can't necessarily raise their rents to the to the airlines too aggressively. So it's very much a fixed pricing market. But assuming that we end up travelling again, and most people would go that that's a pretty good bet, uh, the, it's just the question mark is when. Like when are yeah. we going to be doing it? Not if and to what extent they know that it'll be back as as big as and as bad as, as it was before. So yeah. they're going, well, how long could we wade this out? One, two, three years? Yep, no problem. Can no we continue problem. to get debt funding to do that over the next one, two, three years? Absolutely we can. Can we yep. lock in that debt for maybe the next 10 years? And the, and the answer is probably yes, they will be able to do it. And yeah. so they don't have to earn too much in order to be able to get their return back. So this is what I would call potentially, now not to your average Joe investor, but to the acquisition, um, this is what you'd almost call a sure thing. Uh, now, they'll have built that into their pricing mechanisms and they'll have, they'll have got their expectations out of it. But we are seeing this all around the globe and it's probably happening a little bit later than we initially thought about it. And uh, <laughs> like Jason's like, hurry up, get with the travel. I've got shares in Webjet. Um, <laughs> get, get people traveling again. Well, and, and, you know, and, and again, I, and I like what, what you're saying there, Andy, because, um, you know, many of us uh, might be struggling to go, oh, okay, in the moment, oh, yeah, when, you know, it could be forever. But it's not going to be forever. It's going to be within two or three years for sure. You know, if it was four or five, that would be, you know, a long time. But it's it's before then. And the same thing for me and my neck of the woods is uh, immigration, uh, people moving to Australia en masse, the government has a mandate, a policy to catch up on on how many we haven't had in the country, and um, it's um, we actually have a skill shortage in the country. Even though our jobless rate at the moment is not falling, I had a conversation uh, with an accountant who um, who specialises in uh, trust fund audits for um, property management. And there is over 1,000 trust auditor jobs um, on the East Coast alone, and they said they have not had an application for their job here in uh, Queensland, where I am. So while you know, I'm going to talk about this one a bit later on about the job, the jobless rate fell, but really did it. Um, you know, we we actually have some challenges uh, in the skills we have in the country to match the jobs that are up for grabs. So, uh, yeah, yeah, you're saying, okay, well, when do we get travelling? As soon as anyone can travel, they'll be out there. They'll be often, often, I will be, I can tell you, the moment I can go, I'm the poof, gone, you know. Can um, you imagine it? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go, mate. There you go. What else you got, mate? What, what else is uh, going on out there in the news? Well, as a part of the theme, about, you know, what's the right price? What do you pay for it? Uh, here's a bit of news for you, mate, uh, and I'll take you into something very, very interesting. How often have you heard this, mate? Uh, uh, the handbag, Jace, it's an investment. It's, it's not a luxury, <laughs> but it's an investment. It's an investment. And, uh, and we have the same thing with a few boys' toys and, and, and what have you. But, uh, but <laughs> mate, it is an investment. So have a look at this. Uh, Old mate, uh, Scott Cutler, this is an incredible company and I'm going to ask you a question, Jason, for everybody in the audience. Actually, I'll ask you the question now. Um, what would you reckon would be the, the buy price for a pair of brand new, never touched um, Air Jordan 4 M&M models? Um, and oh, have a look crikey, at yeah. what the other ones are because I think that we are getting into a different – and this we're going to go into this maybe later in the um, what you should know – uh, so, yeah, Jordan, four retro M&M Carhartt. What do you reckon they'd be worth? Whack it oh, in the mate. chat. Oh, uh, we can even yeah. go down to the uh, Jordan 11 retro premium. Uh, Jace reckons 5K. Jace reckons 5K. <laughs> Jules is going, what the hell is that? It's a pair of shoes, Jules. Um- <laughs> it's a pair of shoes. <laughs> so, 
This is this is really interesting. So we've talked about uh, Bitcoin. We've talked about uh, we've talked about cryptocurrencies. We talked about NFTs, non fungible tokens, mm. uh, which I think will be an incredible marketplace of the future. So StockX, Google it, have a look. Incredible. Uh, StockX CEO here, Stock, uh, Scott Cutler, was having a great conversation on Bloomberg this morning, and people are buying these things quite literally for an investment, Jace. It is, and and is. His, the, what really struck a chord w- with me was a comment that he said, and he said that people see value, kids and the younger generation see value in different ways and value in different things. Yes. And when it comes down to what money is, and we'll talk about this later about the evolution of money, but when it comes down to what money is, money is just the evolution of the barter system, which then basically says, well, it's a store of wealth. And the store of that wealth. Yeah, is uh, is ultimately based on the value that people perceive. Currency then changed that, but potentially we're going back to much more of the old system. Of obviously, it is stored based on the value of the person who is looking at it. So, what do you reckon, Jace? What do you reckon uh, those shoes would cost you? I'm the beholder. I reckon I'm going to be be with uh, be be with uh, with Jace O'Neill here. Bradley reckons Bradley Pop reckons twenty five k. Give me. I'm going to go ten k in the middle. All right, what what have we got here? Holy what? No, who who pays that much? But I oh, had a pair of the nineteen eighty five Jordan One OG Chicago's. I actually had those shoes. I, I had them. I reckon I bought them for fifty bucks. I, I wore them. <laughs> I trashed them. And uh, and had I just kept them in the box, uh, I could have whacked them on StockX, and that's the highest bid. That is that is unbelievable. So well, there you go. Huh? And now and now buying and exchanging and storing. So people are buying these things on mass. These types of future trends in clothing, they're actually buying wow. them on mass. Limited source of these things because of the perceived value. <laughs> I like Julie's comments. Julie's talking pleasure. Quote unquote, that's fucked. <laughs> Love it, Jules. Oh, so crazy, most, huh? Most yeah. most billionaires might be able to mortgage their 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 most significant asset and maybe buy a pair of these retro Ford Jordans. Uh, but it goes to show, and so this place, this is live, Jace. You can go uh, jump on to StockX. Where there's no that, promotion here. But you can right. go on, just yeah. have a browse around at what people are actually buying, what prices they're paying for them. And this gives you an idea that th- this con- this fundamental uh, understanding of what value is and going back to Sydney airports, what can- constitutes a, a bid of that size to take over a company, 22-odd billion, 27 billion, whatever it was, yeah. what, what is their rationale behind that? Where do they see the value? Because it is always where people see the value. And in this uh, StockX website, it's incredible. You can go in there and you can see the, these sorts of the at outrageous prices. I was having a chat with the team earlier on and I had this same sort of gig and one of them said, Nine hundred thousand. I'm like, oh, that's a bit bloody bullish. Because the first time <laughs> I looked at the pair of shoes on the top left, I, I read it as one hundred and thirty nine thousand, and I thought that was ridiculous. And then I realised it, it wasn't a full stop; it was a comma, and there were three digits after it. One hundred and thirty nine. Oh. So, be aware that the way that people are looking at value is changing, and it is changing rapidly. So, is it an investment? Oh, arguably the Gucci handbag, probably not. For those who love the Gucci handbags, probably not. It is still going to drop in value. But some of these things that are one-offs or small batches where people believe that this is an incredible store of value, that is where they're actually traveling, Jace. Unbelievable. You wouldn't think it in a million years, but, uh, mate, it's it's happening. That is is certainly uh, quite crazy, Andy. That's – I. I'm I'm gobsmacked. <laughs> Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Oh, there you go. And Alison's saying she's got a friend who they call them sneakerheads. And there you go. You have to seal them up, put them in the in the fridge, keep them uh, keep them fresh. Um, that is that is something else. I'm uh, I'm blown kind of away person. by that. <laughs> That's the kind of person's house that you go around to and you borrow their clothes. You whack on a pair of their sneakers and they have a heart attack. 
<laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I just I just chucked on some shoes. I'm just going to go out for uh, a run. Um, no, that's not what you do when you go to that person's house. <laughs> but uh, so, mate, the, the big theme of this is that uh, be aware that there is a shift. There is a fundamental mm. shift happening in the perception of, of where people see value and where people are going to invest their funds. Now, this is very you know, left of field, but there's not too many people in the world who can afford to pay $139 million, uh, for a pair of shoes. Um, I'm flabbergasted as to, to know what they would do with it, but that's a store of value and I, doubtably they'll probably get $139 million, like it's, I can't even say it, if they went to resell them, but that was the going bid. So be aware that what we see or where we see value fundamentally changes. And uh, but we had some uh, we had some questions in and around uh, iron ore prices, and and I'll just people's perception on value changes so rapidly. Have a look at this slide here. Uh, we were talking about BHP, Rio Tinto, so on and so forth. I had a session with uh, Malcolm Palmer, one of our stock analysts and investors, uh, a couple of nights ago for for our private clients. And we are looking at the, the blue line there is short-term interest rates uh, and the, the, the red line there is the long-term interest rates. And uh, so obviously we saw them sort of pick back up and we were talking about inflation, but then that led to a commodity discussion. And so a lot of people started to think, well, or a lot of people have been asking about uh, iron ore prices. So oh, I've already spoiled, spoiled this for you, but just in case you didn't look, what do you reckon BHP's EBIT was? Or EBITDA as a percentage. Oh. What do you reckon they punched oh, in? Percentage. I don't know. Twenty-five percent, thirty percent. Have a look at this. Sixty-four percent. All right. Yep. Have a look. Look. So, BHP. These are astounding, astounding results, right? Thirty-seven billion dollar uh, earnings, net debt, net debt, four point one billion. Net debt, wow. like that's a tiny, tiny, tiny ratio. Yeah. And uh, and a 64% EBITDA, right, before depreciation and amortisation. This is a company that's absolutely killed it. And right. so, yeah. so people are people are going, well, iron ore prices, you know, have, have plummeted, but let, let's have a look at the reality and how quickly the expectations get reset over time. They produce it for around about $14 per tonne. They're selling it for $160 per tonne before it fell. Their average is between 60 and 70. 60 yeah. and 70. That's a 100% increase on what they're normally selling it for. So yeah. they're scaled up and used to being able to belt it out every day of the week and get a good 30% profit or 30% EBIT. For those of you who don't know, EBIT is earnings before Interest tax, EBITDA, includes depreciation and, and amortization, or excludes them rather. So they were punching out a good healthy one. Uh, that sounded bad, but they were punching out a good healthy <laughs> EBITDA at 60 to $70 a tonne when they were selling it for that, and they've been doing $160. Because the devil's so, in the details, Andy, isn't it, with this stuff? You know, as we all know, you know, the newspaper's like a good headline. Oh, you know, it's over. I, iron ore. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Just relax. You know, they've got plenty of margin to compress there. And, you know, they've been making hay while the sun shines. And one thing I do know um, is that Australia is one of the most efficient cost producers of iron ore in the world. Um, and so we can, um, uh, I think I, I was reading this article the other day, Andy was 30 to 40% more efficient than any other iron ore miner producer in the world when it comes to the cost per tonne to produce. Um, and so basically, folks, uh, what that article was saying, and I'm not an expert in this, but it was a pretty good article, was saying that pretty well Australia would be the last iron ore producer standing. Um, the rest of the mines around the world would have to shut down because they couldn't produce um, at the, the the dollars per tonne that Australia can. So, um yeah, no wonder. Yeah, there you go. You keep it low. You make hay while the sun shines. You tuck a couple of bucks away. Free cash flow of $19 billion. That would be pretty tidy as a buffer. <laughs> and away you go. And look, so that that actually illustrates the, the quite incredible period of time that we've had. $37 yeah. billion in earnings, $19 billion free cash flow. Free cash flow. Just a, a, so, Rhett, 
uh, get ready. They're going to be in the market. They're going to be looking around. Look at mergers, acquisitions, takeovers. They're in there because look at their return on capital invested, 32%. And look and what they're what doing now. They're, they're in they're in a, a bidding war with um uh, what's his name? Oh, I'm having a mental blank now. Not Twiggy. Uh, Forrester. Is it Twiggy Forrester? Yeah, yeah, Forrester. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. They're having a crack, aren't they? So there you go. Um, right and but that's the reason why they can do it. That number yeah. down there, that thirty-two percent. So what that is for 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 everyone out there, thirty-two percent. That's return on ca- uh, capital invested. So when they invest a dollar in in expansion, uh, they're getting. 32% back. So do the math. If you're borrowing at a dollar, that gets taken off and they're, uh, oh, sorry, if, they're, if you're borrowing at 1% or 2% and then you punch out at 34%, then you end up with a 32% return on capital invested just to simplify it, to oversimplify it. Yeah. And 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 folks listening in, everyone, you're like, whoa, these are big numbers. But listen, you know, what this explains, and, I, and I've, you and Andy, you and I have talked about this endlessly, um, money when it, it is then created by good times in, in smart businesses, uh, they keep it moving. Now they're on the hunt for another deal. Like they know that cash will be trash. They'll have a buffer amount that they don't want to go below and they'll they'll find a deal, e.g., you know, nickel or, or whatever they're, they're looking at right now. They're arguing with um, Twiggy Forrester over. They're trying to buy. Um, and, and, you know, they're using the money to make more money. That's what money's job is to do. And this is what I say to property investors all the time. Um, there is zero value in you sitting on millions of dollars worth of equity that make you no money, um, you know, and might make you feel warm and fuzzy every now and then go, oh, I've got low debt. But, okay, well, you got low income too because that money by default as the prices increase, your, your value to earnings ratio um, decreases. Um, and your effectiveness, your deployment effectiveness on your asset um, ratios gets less and less. And uh, it's an interesting one. We could all take a little lesson from some of these companies, I think, when it comes to just keeping some money moving, looking for a deal, whatever that is, um, I think it's a good little lesson. And just to put it into context, if they went and approached Sydney Airport, Sydney Airports would still say, even with your free cash flow, you still can't quite buy us. So uh, (laughs) two opposite sides of the coin. And uh, perhaps just the last one, which is, whoops, I'm having a bit of a a problem with my my slide there, Jace. But uh, the last one, whoops, is uh, somebody came out, uh, I think it was in the last couple of weeks, and started talking about buybacks uh, Mm, and what, what was going on. So... One of the big ones that's out there is Commonwealth Bank's uh, buyback. And Commonwealth Bank had an absolute gangbuster year. Uh, a couple of different reasons is uh, they had massive reserves tucked away for the expectation of big loan write-offs throughout uh, throughout COVID, and they had almost nothing. And uh, so it was it was quite incredible. So they had all this money tucked away ready for the for the bad stuff to happen, and it never actually happened. But now they're doing a buyback, and this is an interesting one. So let, let's think through this. Uh, so when you have massive profit as a business owner in one year, an unexpected massive profit, and you haven't figured out a way of utilising the money, what do you end up with a big excess of? Cash. As a company. Well, yeah, but what else do you have a big excess of? That's tucked away. It's on your balance sheet. Um, you paid oh, tax. Yeah, yeah, uh, retained earnings. And your franking credits. Franking credits. So, yeah. so as a result, CBA had a, a massive uh, retained earnings and, and a large amount of excess franking credits, which they won't be able to use. So what they've done is they've actu- actually issued a buyback, and I forget the full details, uh, and Justin, pretty much on the, on the money, mate. Um, the, so they've actually issued a buyback and most people have been looking at it. They're going, why? Why would I give you back the shares at less than what they're worth today? And people are going, it just doesn't make sense, Andy. Like, why it doesn't make sense? Well, the reason why is because they're buying that back, not all as capital, but as uh, they're issuing the franking credits out in order to reacquire those shares. So, effectively, you're getting the buyback with a massive, a massive franking credit attached to it. 
So if you've got a lower interest, if you've got a zero tax rate because you've invested in your pension fund or something like that, and you're going to get all of the tax back, then this could actually be a really beneficial deal for you. But if you've got a full marginal tax rate, you're sitting there going, I don't get it. Here's the thing, Jase. I reckon there'll be hundreds of millions of dollars, potentially, or let's say millions of dollars, where people who just sign the bloody thing, send it back, have no idea what they've just signed, and then go, yeah, it didn't really make a hell of a lot of sense. And no, it won't. (laughs) There's been a couple of them that have happened, and Alison's gone CBA and the NAB. The NAB's actually a different story. Uh, The NAB isn't doing the same thing. It's not uh, dusting off its excess franking credits. It's a different type of buyback. So uh, when it comes to buybacks, buyer beware uh, because not all buybacks are built the same and you should really chat with myself, guys like Malcolm uh, from Joseph Palmer and Sons because there is very specific ways that you can use this which will benefit you and there are ways that if you you just sign on the dotted line that uh, ultimately you're just guaranteeing yourself a loss of money. Uh, so it's been been an interesting one, Jace. Big year last year. Buybacks are on the board. Buybacks are happening left, right, and centre. They're happening all around the world. Uh, nobody really understands them, but huge amount of people participate in them. So buybacks, buy beware. There you go. And you know that just means really at the end of the day, Andy, that there's uh, excess cash and resources at you know at certain levels that are that are looking to be redeployed. And some go hunting for a new deal. E.g., Rio is going looking for a new deal where CBA and NAB will buy back their shares to bolster up their share price, share their, their value and, and uh, uh, earnings in the future. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, team. Um, there you go. So um, uh, Alison said she's done her homework, Andy. Um, good good student and uh, <laughs> she'll be talking to you next week. But, uh, no, that's great, mate. Good to hear and um, fabulous to uh, get a bit of insight into what's going on uh, on your side of the the fence, my friend, but uh, I've got a couple things that uh, I wouldn't mind sharing with the team um, also uh, when we have a look at uh, a few things out there. I had oh, the God, Sydney we Airport. Really, we really are sharing a brain this Friday. Hey, I tell you, <laughs> I, had, I had Sydney Airport on my list as well, and uh, we talked about that, which is awesome. But, you you know, you talked about the sneakers, <laughs> <laughs> and I was talking about, hey, what about this? You know, and again, um, this is an interesting one because – there's some actually there's there's some uh, some knock on effects afoot, folks out there in the world, which we all should be paying attention to. You know, not only is uh, are people having uh, paying more than they probably should for a pair of pair of shoes, uh, but also uh, collectors um, started to buy up big in cars. Look because we've got some really interesting things going on in the world of renewables, Andy. Um, uh, where is it here? I've got jump, this one here. Jump back down there, Jason. What was the number on underneath that car? Is that one hundred and seventy million dollars on the classic car down there? Is that is that? Am I reading? Uh, right? It wasn't on that one car, but it was like it said the wealthy dropped four hundred and seventy million on classic cars in three days. Holy smoke! Um, you, you could you could buy three pairs of those sneakers for that, mate. I'm not. <laughs> Not sure whether you'd want the classic cars, would you? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one. But like you said, uh, where are where are people choosing to store their money and their wealth? Um, you know, I don't know. I I I I don't understand cars and sneakers. You know, I understand real estate, so I'm choosing to store it there. Um, but what's firing a few of these things is you know something like this uh, on the right hand side, Origin Energy. Um, saying that it's now turning off some of its power stations for extended times um, in amid a surge of renewables. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, you know, it didn't take Einstein to work out that this, this was coming and this is, this is here it's arrived. Um, so if your exposure is in coal, you know, maybe you want to have a re-look at that sort of stuff and uh, look at what's going on um, in, on the other side uh, of the equation. You know, but I thought the connection between some of the some of the you know the the oil based, the coal based, um, fossil fuel um, businesses starting to struggle, and on the flip side, people are going well. If uh, if if uh, classic cars are going out of out of fashion, we better start buying some because they're all going to be battery operated or electric uh, into the future. Which you know, there you go, collectibles time um, as we go. 
Um, well, I grew up with, um, you know, a $3,000 HQ holding, Andy, and now now you can't buy one for less than 20 grand. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. First, my first was a uh, Triumph 2000, twin 250 carbies. It was a four-litre straight six, beautiful car, bucket seats, uh, red vi- red leather. Unbelievable. Red very leather. Porno, very porno-type car it was. It had two <laughs> hot dog mufflers and, and that was about it. It roared like a V8. But, um, I could just see you that, see that see you in that Fenton. <laughs> so th- this one's Origin, but there's AGL, which is uh, which is a stock that a lot of people have been taking interest in uh, in the same mm. uh, area. We're going to see a demerger of that probably later in the year. I'm not exactly sure when. And effectively, what's happening with AGL, I think, is they're they're splitting off into two separate businesses. So they're taking their retail business over in one direction. They're taking yeah. their infrastructure asset over into a different direction. And what we're starting to see, and, and I was having a good chat with Malcolm about this the other night, and also a good mate of mine, Freeman, who might be listening at the moment uh, in the UK or who listen tomorrow, always likes to get the red hot tips from the fenster uh, beforehand, just joking. <laughs> he, knows, he knows a lot more about this stuff than me. And uh, he, he manages a responsible and renewable energy fund over in the UK and throughout Europe. And, uh, and so the question that I asked in regards to this is, well, it's all very good while government subsidies are, are in the game, right? Because th- they build in a stop loss for renewable energies. Yeah. And, that, and you need the subsidized uh, government support in order to get the technologies to a certain level and the infrastructure to a certain level for it to be self-sustainable yes. and renewable. And so the question I asked Malcolm was, well, is it going to be policy-led or company-led? And it's a re- it's a really tough one because unless the Australian, go- in my view, unless the Australian government really come to the party and start to really subsidise this renewable energy movement, it will take decade longer to get there. Look at Europe; they are light years, light years in front of us. Probably yeah. 10, 15 years in front of us as far as renewables are concerned. They look back and they go, "You have got a massive desert that is three quarters of the country." Uh, or a two, you know two thirds of the country like what what's going on? You guys what are, are crazy. You guys doing? Yeah, no one living there. Incredible yeah, opportunity. Out loud. <laughs> yeah. But what's smart about what they're doing at the moment is companies like AGLs, like some of these infrastructure asset owners, they're actually building batteries and things like that on the land next to the current coal coal powered stations. Mm. So you're probably going to see a lot of this. And the reason why I say this is there will be a tipping point. Don't know when. But there's going to be a tipping point, whether it's government policy led or whether it's company push through, because at the moment it's not green. We really don't have a green policy here, uh, really. To be fair, not we do have policies, but in comparison to globally, you would say we don't have them. Uh, and if the government step in and start to look at this space, mate, you will see it'll happen exactly. Well, not exactly. It'll mimic what happened in Europe, and mate, they are flying over there so it's a good one to watch it's certainly a good one to watch and certainly you know um don't get left behind on it i suppose when it comes to this stuff and that's probably part of you know the reason that i wanted to sort of bring it up today and talk about it like you know how does it affect us and our our investment decisions and you know you know can we be smart about what we think might be coming um and also but not jump at shadows right um as well when it comes to a few of these things you know, like, uh, you know, the jobless rate, you know, falls to a 12-year low. Well, um, supposedly that's a good headline, but, uh, you know, they manipulated the statistics four times over the last 20 years. So yeah. uh, <laughs> who knows which statistics are right. But um, uh, I, I sort of put that one in there for me. Um, but uh, the real thing for me, Andy, is that, uh, you know, there's a bit of a call uh, from the big institutions to sort of, you know, remove themselves from the fossil fuel industry. So, you know, I do know, uh, I think it was Magellan Fund, one of the big ones, and and I, and I can't remember so um, the exact uh, figures, but they decided to divest of coal uh, worldwide. And um, that was uh, quite a bomb about a year and a half ago, two years ago. Um, so... You know, this move is, is on its way. But the big one for me, and certainly when it comes to the real estate world, is uh, profit, uh, not profit, but wages growth uh, is the thing we're waiting for, really. It, it, it's going to be an indicator when it comes to 
the world of real estate. Right now, uh, prices have risen around Australia and has nothing to do with wage growth, right? Our wages are the lowest or, well, there's been no wage growth really since the GFC. It's been flat or even slightly declining as it's saying here. And how has that been affecting um, um, down here, the world of real estate? Well, Andy, it hasn't really had any uh, effect on the movement of, uh, um, well, it's had an effect indirectly on the real estate prices because interest rates have been so low, all right? Interest rates, and this is an interesting one. I chucked this up uh, this morning and I talked about this with everybody. It is now, uh, as of uh, 2021 or, or, or late, uh, early 2021, the debt to household income ratio, it is no more expenses expensive dollar for dollar to pay for a mortgage than it was in, say, 2003 right now because the interest rates have been on a downward decline for such a long time. Um, it has had nothing to do with our wages rising. The cost of a mortgage has decreased, so people's ability to service higher debt and pay a higher price for real estate was possible, and that combined converged with a supply issue we have in the Australian market right now um, and uh, and is fueling some of these prices, which we're seeing. And right now, we're looking down at our cash rate, which is pretty low, uh, up from or down from, you know, a long way up uh, a long time ago when it comes to the cash prices. So, you know, it's interesting when we have a look at where we are. Andy, you talked about price-to-earnings ratio compressing, uh, and we're seeing the same thing happening with rents. I did the calculations this morning with one of my clients. Uh, it was a few days ago, actually, but I talked about it this morning. My clients were concerned that their rents had dropped $50 from two years ago. And I said, well, how much has your interest rate dropped from two years ago? And their interest rate had dropped from 3.5 to 2.5, Andy. So their rent had dropped 7%, but their interest rate had dropped 29%, and they were better off from a cash point of view receiving less rent. <laughs> it's like it's mind-blowing. It's like how do I reconcile this stuff? But there you go. Uh, and um, that compression is happening all over the place by the sounds of things in the stock market as well as the real estate market but as we go. See, that's a great example, and you you and I call it controlling the cash and moving the zero line. Yeah. So this, is, this is a classic example of how investors get used to things being a single way over a period of time, and when that one metric that they're looking at is out of whack, they think that the world's gone tropo. Yeah. And they all, they're always, you're always moving it in your favour, and you're not looking at the variance between now and then. You're literally looking at it on a one one year sort of a cycle or one going down, but you're not looking at relative to the others. And it's when you get into that mindset as an investor or a business owner that you start to make really bad mistakes mm. because you you don't actually see the opportunity that's sitting in front of your face sometimes, or sometimes how well you've actually done. Because sometimes it is it's time to pull a pin. It's like all right, we're we're actually we're there. It's time. Yeah, let's hit the, hit the button. It's let's time to. Do- Yep, do the do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that you've got to think about as you roll in your investing, you know. Is it, uh, you know, is it an isolated ob- observation or is it one in context? And, um, you know, that's the, uh, I love the old according to who compared to what and so what, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what does it look like, you know. But we had a couple of questions. Um you know, Julie had one question here, Andy. Uh, where will the people move when immigration picks up? Which state? Well, Julie, if we use a line from a guy I know, he, he's quite famous for saying this. Um, history mimic. Uh, what does it? What does it say? Um, um, things don't uh, do exactly the same, but sometimes it mimics it. I think I butchered that, Andy. You fucking have to tell me the full. 
<laughs> I think I've already used it twice tonight. Uh, history One doesn't repeat. Too many. <laughs> <laughs> but history does repeat. Mimic. Sometimes it's a good mimic. Mimic. Um, so, Jules, when we look at the past, when we had immigration in Australia, the destinations that were the most popular destinations for the first place to land in Australia were Sydney and Melbourne. Okay, Sydney and Melbourne, they were they were fairly evenly split um, depending on where you came from, but those two cities will receive the majority of, us, of people who move from somewhere else into Australia. What does happen as an, a flow-on effect is then um, after a period of time, people say, well, you know, there might be somewhere better than bloody Melbourne or there might be someone better than Sydney and we move and they tend to move to southeast Queensland internally. Um, and so that's the flow and and then obviously a, a bit of a smattering everywhere else. An interesting thing, one, Andy, and Julie, if you're still listening in, the government created, um, uh, and I think, Andy, you were talking about what is regional. Uh, I, I said uh, these movements um, last time we caught up, but, you know, what is the definition of regional? Uh, the government redefined regional for the purposes of migration. So um, you can now move, you can get a visa very easily to move to Newcastle or Geelong or Bendigo or uh, the Gold Coast in comparison to getting a, uh, a visa to move straight into Melbourne or Sydney. So there's these regional visas right now. That, Is that, that another lockdown joke, Jason? No, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get a visa to move any of those places at the moment. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, well, no one can move there just yet uh, as, as we go, right? You know, so there you go. Um, and Bob is saying, oh, Wollongong, yeah. Um, and there you go, Bonnie Doon. Bob's, Bob's moving to Bonnie Doon and fair enough, Bob, If, if uh, <laughs> as you go. But, yeah, no, I mean, regional um, uh, Michelle, you know, depending on your circumstance, certainly if uh, if we have some uh, observation of what's going on right now, the the movements from the major cities, I showed this stat um, last time we caught up, Andy, was the, the movements weren't that far. And I'll, uh, I might just quickly, uh, quickly show everyone um, what I was talking about. But... Um, it wasn't that far from the cities, all right? So uh, even though there is a net gain in southeast Queensland or the Brisbane area, uh, most of the people who have moved out of Melbourne to somewhere else moved close to the city. They moved not too far away. And, Andy, you brought up the question, you know, what is the definition of regional when it comes to this stuff? So, you know, um, team folks, I think, will happen um, in the future and it not not so distant. I think those localised regional manoeuvres um, will return to Melbourne in force when uh, when it feels right to, right to do so and I think we will have international migration at a peak level. Uh, my call, I think I've said this many times now, my call is we are going to have three to five years Three to five years of record migration into Australia, and it's going to be a a, a fabulous time for real estate um, at that point in time as well. And I'm calling. I called it this morning, Andy. I've called uh, within two to three years a rental boom um, kicking on. I think the interest rates will stay low. The government won't want to mess with the economy, um, nor will the banks when it comes to the interest rates. Imagine this, Andy. Imagine, you know. 12 million Australians on a 2.5% interest rate and then all of a sudden they've got to pay a 4.5% interest rate. What, like yeah. that's, a, that, that's, in, that's huge. Well, it, it blows up the, the stability of the financial system, right, because yep. ultimately we need the banks, the big four banks, which have the greatest amount of exposure to all of our uh, domestic lending, which means our mortgages. So there's a counterparty yep. to, to that. So if you blow up the, the whole system, Right, and and here's the thing: is we're not going to learn, Jace. We're going to keep taking on more debt. Like we're 
We, what do you we, mean, Andy? What do you mean? We, we, <laughs> because in theory, you should learn the lesson and you don't take on more of the debt. But then you go, well, actually, it's counterintuitive thought. The more debt that we take on, the less that they can teach us the lesson. Yeah. Right? And it's the old adage, if you if you owe a bank a million dollars, you've got a problem. If you owe a bank a hundred million dollars, the bank's got an issue. They've got a problem. Yeah. And so they are hamstrung to a certain degree as to how they can lift these rates. And I, I brought up the same thing to, to Malcolm and he, he said he'll come on and have a chat with us on Wine and Wisdom. He's like, what, you drink wine and talk finance? Like, <laughs> That's dangerous. <laughs> We've been doing it for a year here, Malcolm. Have you not been watching? So clearly he doesn't, doesn't watch, uh, watch what we do. But uh, I, I asked him the same question. I said, Malcolm, look, Japan never been able to get off zero, hasn't been able to get off zero. US, Europe, um, Europe even said uh, the reserve, uh, sorry, the, um, the central bank in, in Europe basically said that we will allow inflation to not verbatim go off its tits. Uh, uh, the, uh, she doesn't really speak like that. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll allow for inflation to spike and, and go crazy at periods of time. We're going to fight, but we're looking for wage growth. We don't care so much about inflation. We, we're happy for that to go up and down, and we've spoken about this previously because supply chains are having such a big impact. We don't know what's real inflation and what's not real inflation at the moment because some yeah. of it's based on supply, some of it's based on normal market conditions. But so the 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 central bank in Europe, no, they're going no. We're we're staying low until there's wage growth. Well, like you said, Jace hasn't been around since the GFC, which is a while ago. And uh, and same thing out in, in here, but also if you look at the the greater um, sophisticated economies, of which we are not one of them. Uh, so Japan, the world, uh, the, the the United States, so on and so forth. Um, Malcolm actually said, "Well, the difference between us and them, and it's very possible that they will stay low for a long, long time into the future." Um, but mentioned that we are a commodities-based country. And so that that was his little tidbit mm. to kind of go buy beware because our interest rates will probably reflect uh, the journey of the commodities over a period of time, which was a really interesting connection, which I think we should get him on to talk about. Yeah, I'd love to hear that, about that. Yeah. But what that, to me, in the back of my head, it starts to go, well, we have to have a commodities boom, which means we get wage, wage growth, which means that interest rates can rise. Yeah, well, But if yeah. you don't see that, if, then... If you don't get it- yeah, how can you rise raise the interest rates? Because what's happened, Andy, and whether it's been uh, you know engineered or not, wage uh, wage growth has been zero or flat, uh, and the only way to engineer free cash flow for the society has been to drop the interest rates, right? So that that I mean, technically, you know, if you take everything out off the table, that's what's fueled. Prices in properties growing, all right? Justin is really impressed with your technical terms um, when it comes to. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I try and keep it as technical as possible while, while making sure that everybody understands. Uh, That's it. <laughs> I, 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 I reserve that. The homoscedasticity of, uh, of, uh, of our inflation needs to go to a more homo status than uh, heteroscedastic nature. I prefer just <laughs> let it go off its tits. <laughs> Love it, Fenton. Love it. Well, uh, Jules, uh, I, listen. I don't think this that this would ever be possible, Andy. And you know, and ever's a long, ever ever's a big claim. But you know how how could it even be possible for interest rates to get back anywhere near that without the the whole economy imploding? And um, you know, my call would be maybe interest rates would would march from you know, a half a percent to a full percent up in the next five years. That that's that that would be my call. If at all. That's that's my call. Um I, re- I reckon the next ten to fifteen years you will see people paying off their house with twenty percent interest rates. That's yeah. my my bag. But it's not on mass. It is based on a risk weighted uh mortgage. And, yeah. and my belief, and we've spoken about this, and it's not a general consensus, it might be 20 years, uh, but I reckon that I'm right and I reckon it'll go in this direction. <laughs> uh, but one way that interest rates can decouple from uh, ec- economies is where, Julie, you might have a, a rip-roaring business that is just smashing it, 
right? But you're reinvesting in the business. You've got no major profits to show that aren't being reinvested. So you're skinny, uh, you know, cash poor, and the banks can see that. And they will, put, or you, maybe it's not a bank, maybe it's a second tier lender. And they say, well, look, I reckon you should have a house as well. And it's quite clear that you will be able to continue to pay this because business is flying. So you can afford to pay 20%. So he, here it is. You want that million dollar house, you can have a million bucks at 20% per annum. Uh, and we'll reassess your ability to maintain the coverage of that loan on an annualized basis. And if you become less risky, we will lower the rate. If you become more risky, we'll raise it. I reckon it's on the cards for the next 10 to 20 years somewhere. Yeah, I, and I reckon, and folks, just to be clear what Andy's talking about, he's not talking about the banks raising interest rates. What he is talking about is pricing interest rates appropriate to the borrower at an individual level. Um, and, um, you know, what that means um, will be, I, I believe, Andy, the technology's there now. I believe that that pricing instrument's there. And, I, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, and I think that should be appropriate, personally, um, as we go. And um, the previous, you know, 100 years of lending is archaic when it comes to now the speed of information and capacity for us to manage and you know, understand a borrower. Um, yeah, it's like it's like low doc on on steroids, steroids. Jules. Yep, yeah, low doc on steroids, and and so it should be. I mean, crying out loud. I mean, if you and I talked about, I don't know, let's, I don't know, uh, what what could we say? Something uh, something weird about uh, you know, bouncing balls or something like. I don't know. We say it out loud, and, and five seconds later, that's probably a bad thing. I've had too much wine, but I'm t- trying to. You know, five seconds later, it'll be on our bloody phone. I mean, everything's connected to everything. There's data for the Kahoosies and, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we'll see. It's an interesting one, Bob. This is this is interesting. Uh, and this, in, mm-hmm. and I've chatted about this stuff. But what will happen as an individual, as Jason or Andy or as Bob borrowing money, um, what, uh, what, uh, what the laws have set up, and you're right, you know, there are laws that do not allow this type of lending. However, if Andy Fenton um, borrows some money as a PTY limited company, the gloves are off, so to speak, team, okay? And you are now outside the rules of the lending rules right now. And and to be honest, I just settled a property, Andy, um, just right now, low doc loan, um, completely outside of the um, of the of the rules uh, that are that provide protections for individual borrowers, and the banks have to abide by. But there will be lenders, team gang. There will be lenders everywhere that will be uh, doing this. And Andy, I I I'm pretty sure I sent you these ads not so long ago, actually. And I'm like, I'm going to have a look at this. Private lending uh, advertising on Facebook. I remember sending it to you, but I, I'm trying oh, yes, to find it. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now. From the family office, but I think yeah, might, from the well, family office. It's maybe we'll, we'll, we'll keep we'll keep that one off the air uh, just so that we don't get sued at some point in time. <laughs> All but, right, uh, keep that one there. Good, good call. But Bob, it's already happening. Bob, it's already happening. Um, not by us, just by the buyer. Not by but, us, uh, but but professional family offices. Anyway, so. Um, and, and let's, let's be frank: is that Facebook, Google, they're they're all looking to play this game, all right? And, yeah. and here's the thing: if they want to play well, the Facebook game, the game Google will be have got played. banking licenses already, Andy. Right? But and Next. well, here's, but here's the other thing: is that the scary part about these companies taking over the world, which they will, it's, I think it's inevitable in some way, shape, or form, because government, every government is rules based. It's constitutional based. My perception is that I believe that there are certain things that are going on now that are anti-constitutional, uh, but the only way that you can override. So let's just say allegedly, Jace, that some of the laws that they're passing in their little politicians club, uh, let's just, for argument's sake, I'm not saying that they are, but let's just, as a hypothesis, as a, as a random thing, let's just say that some of the rules that they were passing uh, weren't actually what we call legal rules. And what I mean by that is that there's a precedent that was set previously that basically makes the new legislation not legal or not legally binding, or it goes against parts of our constitution, which is the founding framework of the legal system uh, that we operate in. That law is law until it's not law. 
that law is law until somebody challenges it and then somebody finds a precedent in the Supreme Court and it gets overrun and a, a greater precedent says, okay, well, that's adjusted. Or it goes up to the High Court, right? And the High Court then can adjust the Constitution or say that that's anti constitutional. We can't do that, right? Because your average Joe, you and me, if we would spend our lives fighting it to get it up to the to the high court, and somebody probably neck us on the way through, maybe don't know. Um, but ultimately, to get up there would cost a huge amount of money beyond the the means of your average person. These companies, hundred and fifty six billion dollars sitting in the war chest of Apple. Do you think that they could give a flying rat's ass about taking something right up to the high court? to test whether the precedent would sit or test whether the law would sit or whether if they can find their way in and go, all right, here's how we can give people what they want uh, around Australia, do you think that they're going to even balk at throwing a billion dollars at it when they know what's on the other side? Uh, 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 uh. They'll be right there. And like you said, Andy, it's the resources, you know, um, in this stuff. And, you know, we might save that one for another day. I'd love to see um, us get, you know, um, uh, your crew on. Palmer and Sons, um, you know, come on and talk about that stuff because, you know, we, when you rise out of the retail space, the, it's a very protected, uh, what would I say? I, I mean, naive is not the right, right word, but it's protected and, and un, uh, you know, it, there's a it's lot that goes on. Landscape. Yeah. 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 And you rise up into another, lo- another world. When it comes to the ability to borrow outside of the norms, you know, um, folks, I think I'll, I'll tell you this story one day, but I remember borrowing $10 million um, in uh, in about 13 minutes over a, over a cup of coffee. Um, and, you know, it's I, I've, I've found it harder to borrow $5,000 and qualify for a credit card for crying out loud than I did to borrow $13 million to buy a property. The, the levels of scrutiny and and due diligence and stuff and protection mechanisms are different at different levels and it just it's just mind blowing so we might uh, we might save that one for another day Andy I think that would be quite a quite a good conversation <laughs> to be fair it was a pretty good coffee it was a great coffee <laughs> but there you go but uh, you're dead right Andy you said uh, if you uh, if you owe more than uh, if you owe uh, uh, $10,000 and you can't pay it, then you're in trouble. But if you owe $10 million and you can't pay it, well, they're in trouble. Uh, I might tell folks that story one day, but um, um, there you go. I've had uh, I've had those moments over the last 25 years of investing and uh, Fenton's had one or two uh, interesting moments too. So uh, there you go, folks. I think we might call it, um, call it Andy because I've had too much to drink and we'll probably just dribble on right now. <laughs> I reckon it might be that you've actually just poisoned yourself with the uh, with the old wine that you've been drinking that's now three weeks old. It's, it's, the reason why you don't drink, mate, it's not because you, you you don't like to have a drink. It's because when you when you drink wine like that that's been sitting there for three, you're actually poisoning yourself. And uh, this isn't this isn't drunk. This is like you nine one one. Call the hospital on your way, Jace. There's something some wrong with it. there's something wrong with him. <laughs> Well, mate, uh, awesome to hang out with you and have a good chat. Um, hopefully, folks, it was something of interest or you learnt something tonight. I certainly did. Uh, certainly, the price-to-earnings ratio were, was fascinating for me, Andy. It's compressing in the world of the share market and it's certainly compressing in the world of real estate uh, right now. It's certainly something to observe and keep an eye on as we, as we go. I think Christine is right. <laughs> I think I've <laughs> lost the plot. It's probably time for me to check on out. <laughs> Mate, words of wisdom right the way through, my brother. Absolutely, every single week, 100%. Awesome. All right, well, folks, um, uh, that's it. We're done and dusted. Well, it's. Uh, I think it's a good night from me. And it's a good night from him. Good night. Good night.